<laughs> my mom is here visiting from the freezing cold state of Alaska at the moment, and she has agreed to come be a guest on the podcast. Now, I would say she's not really a true crime fan in the purest sense. She's not really into murder and, and serial killers and all that fun stuff, but this story that we're going to talk about today is not really about murder. It's more about some fraud and just some really, really wacky stuff. We're going to talk about the true story behind the huge Netflix series, Bad Vegan. So Sarma Melangalis is the main character of the Netflix special, and she was born September 10th, 1972. She is an American chef and a businesswoman. She was at one time the owner and the co-founder of a very, very popular vegan restaurant called Pure Food and Wine. She had an offshoot of that called One Lucky Duck. They were both vegan raw food restaurants and providing raw food to the city of New York. She had a tattoo on one of her shoulders of this supposed little lucky duck, and that was kind of like her logo and her trademark. But both of her businesses closed in 2015 after the staff left because they hadn't been paid. So she was arrested for fraud in 2016 and then convicted in 2017. But her early life is she was born and raised in Massachusetts in a little town called Newton. She went to Newton High School. And she had an early interest in food from her mother, who was a professional chef. Her father was a physicist at MIT. So she had a pretty kind of intelligent, affluent background. She graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1994 with a BS in economics from the Wharton School and an additional BA. So she's a smart cookie too. Like she wasn't a dummy. And she definitely got out and had some promise immediately out of college. She then moved to New York City and started working at Bear Stearns, which is a huge, huge company until 1996, and then she moved on to Bain Capital in Boston, these are all really big names, and started working in private equity investment before she returned to New York City in 1998. And that's when she joined a high yield investment fund at CIBC, and then she kind of threw all of that away and decided she was gonna enroll at New York's French Culinary Institute. She graduated from that in 1999. So she sounds like a, a normal chick, right? Somewhat. I mean, she's smart. She's got her stuff together. She comes from a good family. Her parents are intelligent, and they have good jobs. So there's no reason to think that she would be illogical or that she would be, you know, the kind of person who would go off the deep end, right? It doesn't look like it, no. So she then meets this guy. His name is Matthew Kinney. And... She basically opened Commissary in 2001, but it closed in March 2003. And she was working with her, this guy, Matthew Kinney, who soon became kind of her, her boyfriend. And he was a chef, an author, and a speaker. And she starts talking with this guy named Jeffrey Chatero. And he has this business called China Grill Management. And he sort of is a restaurateur. He, finds new businesses to invest in and starts opening up new restaurants and things like that. And she starts talking to him and sort of building this rapport with him and kind of pitches this idea. So she's gonna, she's gonna be with this Matthew Kinney guy and they're gonna open up what they call Pure Food and Wine and it's gonna be a raw vegan restaurant. 
and they opened that up in June 2004, and it was New York City's first upscale raw food restaurant. So I don't know if you have you ever been to a raw food restaurant? No. Do, would you go to one? Yes, I would go to one because I eat a vegan lifestyle, so I'm always for trying something new. Yeah. So anyway, her restaurant's located in Gramercy Park in New York. It's Manhattan, so it's a pretty affluent area. And it was listed twice in New York Magazine's Top 100 Restaurants and the Plat 100. It was also five years in a row listed in Forbes Magazine as one of the all-star New York eateries. So... People were talking about her restaurant. It was gaining kind of some notoriety, and people were, she was on people's tongues. And she's a very, very attractive woman. She's blonde, she's trim, she's got a pretty face, she's charming, she's well spoken. So she's definitely the face of this business. So then they go on to develop this One Lucky Duck Juice and Takeaway, which is kind of a retail takeaway store that's attached to pure food and wine. And it's one of those kind of, sort of sister businesses to Pure Food and Wine so she can kind of branch out and get more business. Now, OneLuckyDuck.com also launched in 2005 and it was an online store and that store sort of specialized in snacks prepared and packaged from Pure Food and Wine. So they had ingredients that were all natural, they had skincare, they had supplements, books, apparel, home products, and all the stuff related to raw and organic living. So it sounds like a pretty cool place, right? Well, she sounds like quite the entrepreneur. Right. I think she was really onto something. And it was really in that point where I believe that people in general were starting to notice raw food and, and vegan food options. So then in 2009, she believes that her partner, Matthew Kinney, is sort of not really doing well financially and is not giving the company and the restaurant the kind of attention that it deserves. So she goes and, well, actually both of them, both Matthew Kinney and Sarma, go and separately have conversations with Jeffrey Chattero. And they both tell him, this isn't working, we need to split, you know, give me the business. So they both advocate on their own behalf why he should cut the other person out of the business. Chattero basically listens to both of them and decides that Matthew Kinney doesn't have a good financial history. He's not strong. He's made some bad decisions. And Sarma, on the other hand, she's charming. She's personable. She's got a, a, a business degree, for Pete's sake. She's got a background in business school. And I believe they also went to the same school. So, like, they have that connection as well. So he pretty much decides he's going to put his money on Sarma and not Matthew Kinney. So he allows them to, he allows Sarma to buy out the other one, gives her an additional $2 million, give or take, to buy the business outright. So she's going to owe Chattero the money to buy out this other guy. So in addition to the money that she got from him as an investor, she also has to pay back that $2 million that she used to buy out Matthew Kenny. So then One Lucky Duck seems like it's doing well, and it opens up a San Antonio, Texas branch in 2014. So she's like going all out. She's putting everything she has into this business and she's doing well. So what happened? Because from all indications looking in this from the outside, it seems as though it should have been, you know, 
a huge business that rolled into an even huger business, but that's not what happened. In January 2015, Pure Food and Wine and One Lucky Duck staff basically decided they were all going to walk out. They had not been paid for a month of their wages, and this was the second time within a year that the money had been withheld. And the first time was July 2014. So essentially, she hadn't paid them multiple times. Either their checks bounced, or she just didn't have the money for payroll. And she had sent this group emails, texts, and things like that saying, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to make payroll. And of course, a lot of them stayed with the company as long as they could because they had loyalty to her. They had a friendship with this woman. But they got to the point where enough was enough. And, you know, you haven't paid me. I can understand maybe one paycheck. But if you get to the point where it's multiple paychecks and you haven't been paid in a month, that's a problem. And I believe she also, she either told them, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make payroll. Give me a few days. And she was able to raise some money. Or basically she at one point decided they were going to go down to getting paid once a month. So they were no longer going to do bi-weekly or weekly paychecks. They were going to get paid once a month because she didn't have the money to cover it. So she addresses the walkout and posts this blog in February 2015. She apologizes for what happened, but then she later deletes the post. So then she has an interview with Well and Good where she states that the delayed wages were due to slim margins, she says, caused by debt and expensive ingredients. So she'd also previously missed her own rent payments. So she's saying, I'm sorry, you know, we've got a lot of debt. The restaurant's not doing well right now. I can't even pay the rent on my apartment. So, you know, I'm really sorry, but this just is how it is. Um, she also gave the employees and other people different explanations for what was going on. And then in April 2015, Pure Food and Wine and One Lucky Duck and OneLuckyDuck.com all reopened. But the majority of the staff did not return to the restaurant after its reopening. And in July of that year, the staff of both of these restaurants walked out because they were like, we're done with this. We can't handle this not getting paid stuff. But since then, both establishments have been permanently shut down. Let's talk about what happened to lead up to this. So basically, Sarma had built kind of this empire for herself in the raw food and vegan kind of community. And we got you through the point where she splits up with her boyfriend, Matthew Kinney, and goes out on her own. So what happened was she ends up meeting this man. And he calls himself Shane Fox. And she meets him over Twitter. And she kind of has this online relationship with him that she builds, number one, over Twitter, and number two, over Words with Friends which is a, a game, a crossword game, or something of that nature that you play with your cell phone. Have you heard of that game? I haven't heard of that game. <clears throat> She's got some pretty high-powered celebrity guests that come into her establishment. She had, like, Woody Harrelson. She had, like, Alec Baldwin. And she's kind of a little bit flirtatious with Alec Baldwin, but I guess Alec Baldwin met his current wife at Pure Food & Wine. So she's kind of got this connection with him. He's tweeting at her. She's tweeting back at him. And there's just this other guy, this Shane Fox guy, is sort of interacting with both of them. And he's just making these funny little remarks and quips. And just, he seems like, and it's, it's hard to kind of get into that crowd over social media. So it's interesting that Alec Baldwin was directly kind of interacting with this guy that nobody knew who he was. So Sarma starts sort of interacting with him as well and kind of builds this relationship over the course of a year with this complete stranger 
that she met through social media. They ended up meeting in 2011, and he says, hello, you know, my name is Shane Fox, and blah, 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 but his name wasn't really Shane Fox. His name was actually Anthony Stranges. But that's a different part of the story. We're not going to get into that quite yet. But he claims that he is this wealthy businessman who can help her with her business and essentially rescue her. Which is not really the case. So he promises her he's going to give her fame, fortune, and immortality. And he's going to make her and her dog live forever. She has a dog. She chose not to have children, but she has a dog named Leon. Who's like a, I think it's a pit bull mix that she had adopted. And he is just like with her all the time. He is her, her baby, kind of like Cooper was with me. But he gets her. He reels her in because he tells her, I've got this secret. I've got this plan. And I can make you and Leon live forever. And you're the most beautiful person in my life. You're the most wonderful person in the world. And I'm so in love with you. And she just falls for all of it, hook, line, and sinker. <sighs> Sound like a familiar familiar sort of thing my goodness that that man is like uh he must have a degree in lying he was definitely a very very manipulative person who had the ability to talk his way in out and around the sweetheart swindle which is essentially what this is this is a sweetheart swindle and we talked about the sweetheart swindle on our Tinder swindler episode. And we talked about things you need to be aware of. And the fact that somebody who loves you and just met you or somebody who just met you and somebody who loves you is never going to ask you for money, that it's, it's wrong. You should never give somebody money that you meet from a dating website and those sorts of things, those tips. If you want to hear more about that particular episode, go back and listen to our Tinder swindler episode that came out a few weeks ago. But in any case, she starts interacting with this Shane Fox guy and Everybody around her, I think, is kind of very cautious of this man because they immediately did not trust him. He just seemed shady to them. And they were like, what? He was showing up at the restaurant. He was becoming involved in the business. And they were like, well, who is this guy? And, and he doesn't know anything about food. How can he suddenly become a key player in this huge vegan restaurant empire? And they were very skeptical of him. But I guess Leon liked this guy and had an immediate rapport with this dog. And so she was like, eh, okay, I guess. And according to the interviews on the show, I guess she says she wasn't super attracted to him when they first met, but she was kind of giving him the opportunity. He was a little bit chubbier than his picture had originally shown him, which sounds very familiar, like a gentleman that I dated when I first came to California, who was very, very much like this. But essentially she kind of gives him the benefit of the doubt because he makes her laugh, He's promising her a lot of things. He's traveling all over the place. And he kind of gives her the distinct impression that he has money and that he's this international man of mystery and like this person who takes care of business. And he's going to come rescue her. And I think at that point, given the fact that she was under this sort of mountain of debt, that she wanted to believe in that fantasy. She wanted to believe in that life that he was going to give to her. I mean, would you believe something like that if you were in a similar position? I think that when women in particular are under that kind of financial stress and somebody comes in that is convincing enough that says promises them that they're going to get out from underneath it, it's very easy to fall for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your defenses get lowered the longer that uh, lying devil <laughs> yeah. uh, 
answer in, yeah. in his conversations. And he does, obviously does all the right things to bring her um, barriers down so that she starts trusting him more and more. Yeah, A absolutely. very sad, very sad story. But essentially, though, I think, though, you know, once you start to get to the point where he's promising you immortality, like, that's when you, you pump the brakes, right? Well, that should be a big red flag right there. I mean, he's not Jesus. He's not God. He can't give anyone everlasting life. He is a man. But he has basically made her believe that he is this immortal being and that he can grant her the same sort of immortality if she just does what he asks her. Well, I'm sorry, but there must have been an element of her brain that was sleeping when she fell for that one. It just seems so far-fetched that, like, that part of it, like, I can understand falling for someone in the sweetheart swindle, but it just, he took it to a whole nother level, right, with this immortality stuff. So, essentially, these two end up getting married about a year after they met. And... She told all of her, you know, people later that they got married so that she could transfer money to him more easily. But I think people that were around her and knew her were very surprised by this union because they just didn't see these two as like a love match. They weren't, you know, he wasn't really vegan. He was kind of chubby. He's this weird kind of awkward guy that no one wants to be part of the business. And she's this gorgeous beautiful, accomplished businesswoman who is a vegan chef. So, like, this guy's not even a vegan. And he's, like, dipped his toes into this and told everyone that he's taking care of business at Pure Food and Wine. And it's a tense kind of a thing. But she starts to become less and less involved in the business as Shane Fox becomes more and more involved. But let's talk a little bit about this Anthony Strangis, a.k.a. Shane Fox. He was no angel, as you could probably already tell. Um, these two met on Twitter, but did not meet in person until 2011. Okay, So they talked for quite a while before they actually met up. And then they got married about a year after they met up. But the whole story with this guy is he is so shady. He often would administer, quote unquote, tests for Sarma, saying that if she completed these tests, he would grant her these wishes, like the immortality thing. So essentially, these tests, though, many of them involved money, as you can probably already see where this is going since it's a fraud case, right? So she transferred, all said, about $1.6 million from her business account to her personal account and then gave them to strangers. She claims that they were loans, that he was going to pay back. And I'm sure that's what he was telling her. Because that's the sweetheart swindle at its finest. It's the swindler telling the person being swindled, hey, I really need money. I'm having this problem or I'm having this issue and I need you to give me the money. In return for that, I will give you even more money and I will make all of your dreams come true. And I remember there was a guy, you know, we're not going to mention his name. We'll call him Stuart. There was a guy when I first came to California that was very much this way as well. He would promise all kinds of things. If, you know, a little bit of money would become larger amount of money if we if he would just if I would just trust him. Okay? And he had the whole he was involved in and it's painful to even talk about this now, but he was involved in some sort of a Nigerian money scheme. 
scam thing where somebody had sent him an email telling him, you know, if you give me this much money, I can invest it and I will give I will make you a multimillionaire. And he met up with this Nigerian guy and well, I don't think he met with him in person, but he talked to him on the phone and he was transferring money to this guy and this guy was promising to make him a multimillionaire. So, when I first met him and heard about all that was going on with this sweetheart swindle. Well, it wasn't really a sweetheart swindle. It was, just, it was a scam, basically, an online email scam. And when I first heard about it, I was just like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. How could you be so stupid? But I actually did give him a few hundred dollars and helped him with a few things because he was so persuasive. He was so convincing. And he actually believed that he was going to become a multimillionaire. And I heard back from this guy later, maybe two or three years later, um, he ended up getting arrested because he rented a car and then never returned it. So he went to jail and he tried to contact me later through email and I just ignored it and, and brushed it off because he was just so shady. Like we were together, we lived in a hotel room for about six weeks and he would constantly be doing these tests just like this Shane Fox guy where he would, you know, you have to pack all your stuff up and be ready to go in 10 minutes. Or he would sneak into the hotel room to check on me when I was working in the middle of the day. And he would leave and say he was going somewhere and then he would sneak back into the hotel room to check on me and he'd be like, you are so unaware and I can't believe you didn't hear me coming in and you're a bad person and like all this stuff like that. So I have a feeling that this Shane Fox guy was kind of doing a little bit of that, taking a page out of that book. But he's telling her she's gotta give him all this money and that it's a test of her commitment to him and her belief and his ability to make her immortal, right? In return though, this guy is actually a chronic gambler and he's spending all this money at the Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun casinos. He's gambling it all away. And I don't necessarily think that Sarma knew that he was gambling all the money away, but she had to kind of suspect something was up, right? You don't give somebody $1.6 million to not see a dime in return and think that everything's just fine, right? Well, it sounds to me like he had kind of a spell on her. He did. Yeah. He was persuasive. But I think in the Netflix series, they interview his ex-wife. And evidently, he met this young woman and claimed that he was an ex-Navy SEAL, which this guy, the Stuart, also said that. He said he was an ex-Navy SEAL as well. But he claimed that he'd been injured in the line of fire and that he was just kind of getting back on his feet and that's why he was a little bit chubby. Which, hmm, that sounds like, like exactly the same thing that this other guy told me, right? Because they don't want you to think that they're just a lazy sack. And the thing is, this guy was kind of essentially that. He was a lazy gambling sack. But he had met this his first wife originally um, and they were pretty young and he ends up getting her pregnant and leaving her you know, with her infant. But before he left this one, he robbed everything of value from her. He broke into her house and robbed everything of value and then left her and their child high and dry. What a skunk. Yeah. So she ends up, you know, I don't necessarily, I think she's over it by this point because it was long enough ago in the past, but she kind of talks about her experience on the Netflix special. And, you know, she's an interesting woman. Um, I think that once this whole, once this whole thing went down, she actually asked, um, no, Sarma asked this woman to provide her with a letter saying how skeezy Shane Fox slash Anthony, 
uh, strangest was, and she actually did provide that for Sarma as part of her, her case. But anyway, um, after a good period of time where the money just, he keeps asking her to send him more and more and more money, the restaurant eventually shuts down and the cash cow's gone. He can't get any more money from her. Excuse me. So the two go on the run. And I think part of that was Sarma really believed that this was going to happen. And when she discovered that it wasn't going to happen and that there was no possible way that he could be anything that he said he was, she was afraid. She didn't know what to do. She was hopeless. So these two go on the run and they end up in a few like tourist attractions, one of them being Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, or something of that nature. It's They're out in this little sticks tourist community in the middle of Tennessee, I believe it was. But essentially, this guy orders Domino's pizza and wings, and that leads the authorities to Sarma and Shane Fox, a.k.a. Anthony Stranges. And it was, they were on the run for about 40 days, and she says during that time that she was living off Chipotle vegan bowls. That <laughs> she wasn't eating the Domino's pizza and the chicken wings and all that kind of stuff. But there was a warrant out for their arrest. They were wanted for fraud and violation of labor laws because they didn't pay any of those employees. The two were charged with 24 counts um, that included second degree grand larceny, second degree criminal tax fraud, first degree scheme to defraud, and violation of labor laws. Sarma actually took a plea deal. And this helped her avoid a potential three-year prison sentence. She actually received a six-month sentence, and she served about four months of that, four or five months. Um, and then she got five years of probation. She was found guilty of grand larceny, criminal tax fraud, and a scheme to defraud. Anthony Strangest did not get off as easily as Sarma did. He, ple he pled guilty to four counts of grand larceny in the fourth degree and was sentenced to a year in jail. And then he got five years of probation as well. And he was told he had to pay about $840,000 in restitution to the investors who gave her all this money that he siphoned out. But what's interesting is they, they showed sort of a list of where all the money went. And it showed that she gave him nearly $2 million. And it was like $80,000 at the Rolex watch store. And $90,000 at this casino. And $100,000 at this casino. And it made it look like they were living kind of this roving, traveling casino lifestyle and just living up luxuriously. But I wonder, you know, how much of that she was really on board with. I mean, do you think she was part of the scam as well or she just had lost all hope and had given up? I think on some level she had to have known. There, there must have been something inside of her that um, bordered on dishonest because I can't imagine somebody that walks in a lot of integrity that would be willing to stay with somebody that was so dishonest and shady because he, she might have bought into it at the beginning, but I don't think by the end she really, I, I think she knew. And so by then she's hooked. Yeah. She's hooked into it and she doesn't know how to get out and she's stuck. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that, you know, she maybe turned a blind eye or maybe tried to ignore it when she knew that it was going down. I mean, I just have a hard time believing someone, you know, that was seemingly as intelligent as her and had so much going for her would be a part of this sort of a thing with this man. 
And she says that towards the end, she didn't really care for him that much. They didn't share a room. They weren't physical. But, like, it was just she wanted to get her money back by that point. Which, you know, I can understand that. But when she got out of jail, she filed for divorce immediately and said that she planned on leaving New York with her dog, who was still around, Leon, the, the, the dog, and that she had dreams to reopen sort of the, the vegan restaurant that she dreamed about, and she was going to work on a memoir. Is that actually going to happen? Mm, I don't know that anyone, anyone is going to give her money anymore. I mean, I think she owes about $6 million now. She's about wow. $6 million in debt after all the investments and the, the restaurant went under and all that stuff. That's a lot of money to, to overcome, right? Well, that's a great big hurdle for sure. Well, didn't she come from affluent parents? Um, they were somewhat affluent, but I mean, he's a professor. I mean, I don't think that they're outrageously wealthy. I think that they were probably comfortable, but I, I guess the thing is her mother actually ended up, he, she gave Anthony Strangis about $400,000. The oh mother. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the father was on board with that. I think the mother was secretly giving this guy money because she didn't want her daughter to go down. Right? So he's telling her, oh, I need this money to keep the restaurant afloat. I need this money because your daughter's in desperate, dire straits. And the mom is giving it to him thinking, I have to help my daughter. But it was really being gambled away by yeah. shady... So more than one got Anthony duped. Strangis, yeah. So there was really a lot of... There were a lot of people that were kind of fooled by this guy. I guess even the reporter that did... There was a big Vanity Fair story that came out. And this reporter talks a lot on the Netflix special, but evidently he even gave Anthony Strangest like a hundred bucks on his phone card to make sure he would be able to do like a phone interview. And when he called the prison, they told them that Anthony Strangest already had a good amount of money on his card. So he didn't need any more money on his <laughs> card. But I mean, well, that he, guy was really good at scamming. <laughs> he was certainly able to get what he wanted in many instances from people around him. But he finished his prison sentence in 2017, and his five-year period of probation is going to end this year, I believe. He's going to also be allowed to leave his home state of Massachusetts, which is terrifying. Um, his whereabouts are currently unknown. And I guess Sarma is still kind of in contact with him because on the show they played some phone messages. You know, they're still kind of talking, which seems wild to me. Would you ever talk to somebody who did something like that to you after well, this happened? you know, when you get into an emotional bondage like that with somebody, it's very hard to disconnect. Well, I guess what happened was these two had gone on the run for over a month, right? And he orders this Domino's pizza and uses his real name and his real credit card name, which was this Anthony Stranges. And immediately somebody at the pizza place or somebody near kind of picked up on the fact that this was a wanted person. I don't know if they saw a wanted poster or had seen some kind of special about this guy and called the police. And the police immediately went in and apprehended him. And this was very scandalous because here's this vegan woman who's basically caught with something that's so essentially non-vegan, a pepperoni pizza from Domino's and chicken wings. And I don't necessarily think she was eating the pepperoni pizza and the chicken wings, but this was the big scandal. Everyone was like, this is a hypocrite. She was running around saying she was this, but we don't think she was actually a vegan. And there was just a lot going on, a lot to kind of unpack about this whole thing. And it's scary that he's, you know, wandering around out there, you know, untethered and unsupervised when he could be running the same scam on somebody else. 
Well, hopefully he'll get caught and put back in jail. But both the restaurant, the Pure Food restaurant, and the One Lucky Duck are closed. And there's no plans to reopen either of them. There's a lot of criminal activity around this whole case. And I think there were a lot of people that got stuck in the middle of this that it just left a really bad taste in their mouths. But it's unbelievable that this person who had so much promise, like she could have made enough money if she would have just stayed the course and kept up with her vegan food and her restaurant, she probably could have paid that $2 million back. Don't you think? I do think that she could have. I mean, she had a lot, of fi- a lot of irons on the fire. Unfortunately, uh, when you get scammed and you get emotionally involved with the scammer, you don't think straight. I think at some point her thinking was definitely not straight, and he led her down the wrong pathway, and she went willingly because she was emotionally connected by that point. And that's truly, truly sad. But it's pretty amazing that her main defense to all this is that he gaslighted me. He manipulated me. It's, it's kind of like that mental defense. And I don't know that he ever physically abused her, but there's allegations that he mentally abused her, that he you know, coerced her. And this is really a legal defense that's becoming more and more acceptable for use now in the legal system. It used to be that that was something that was not a factor at all. And then it became that it was a mitigating factor on sentencing. And now it's becoming a legal defense, which is interesting. I think that um, it should be because the truth is that people that are good at manipulating other people's emotions and and, uh, manipulating them into doing the things that they want, um, it is. It's emotional abuse. And then uh, just the promise of some of the things that he promised her that he couldn't come through with. Uh, she must have had something inside of her that was feeling desperate for, for more. And she he was lonely. I mean, yeah, clearly and she was he lonely. was able to just stack the cards in his favor, and she bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. I definitely think that he knew how to push her buttons emotionally, how to how to manipulate her perfectly. And I have to say that people that are like this, and I'm going to say people because I think there are probably women out here out in the world that are like this as well, but there are definitely people out there that know how to manipulate situations and find weaknesses, chinks in the armor that they can manipulate to get what they want. Those people are called predators. Yes. And that guy was obviously a predator, and, and predators are very skilled at reading their prey being able to figure out where they're at emotionally, and they do. They're they're able to figure out where they can push those buttons and get the responses they're looking for so they can get what they want. So, I mean, the thing is this is a fraud case, but would you categorize this as a sweetheart swindle? I think on some level it is because her heart was involved. I mean, obviously she married the dude. Yeah. And so I do believe that it does qualify for it. But even though she says she wasn't really into him and she wasn't really attracted to him and it was really just a a business arrangement, do you think that's true? No. You think there was an emotional tie in there as well? I think there was very much an emotional tie. There was something that caused her to trust him enough to be able to do what she did. And that, that has to be an emotional tie. She can call it whatever she wants. I think she's in denial. Yeah. Well, I mean, this woman is my age, and I can see that there's a point in some women's lives where 
when they choose not to pursue a sort of traditional lifestyle where you know you get married you have kids you do the whole white picket fence thing and you know raise the babies and do that whole thing when you choose a more non-traditional lifestyle and choose not to have children there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of fear involved in that as well and I think it's really hard when you get to a certain point because you start to think did I make the right decision and I think she was kind of at that crossroads where she loved her job and she loved what she did but she was lonely she wasn't in a relationship and she was starting to wonder did I make the right decision because she was lonely right so I think he got her at that perfect moment when she was vulnerable enough to be able to listen to the things that he was telling her he was going to give her. And he sort of swept in like he was going to be this knight on a white horse, right? Rescue her, save her, provide her with a way out of her loneliness and her sadness and her depression or whatever. But, I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of an unbelievable story. I mean, to me, I'd say it's in the top 10 of things that I just heard about and was just like, wow, this is so wild. A top 10, and I say that, as far as not being a murder case, because there's the murder cases that we've talked about, some of them on the show have just been unbelievable. But as far as a non-murder type case, I'd say this is in the top 10 is unbelievable, right? I would agree that it is. It, it had um, huge repercussions with the actions and the choices that she made uh, just in trusting this guy that bamboozled her completely. But and too many like, people were affected by it. They really didn't get a lot of prison time, considering the that amount of money surprising. that was involved. That is surprising. I'm surprised he didn't get more prison time. Well, she took a plea deal, so she only got like four or five months, and she was out pretty quickly, which, I mean, it is what it is. I think she probably testified against him in exchange for leniency in her sentencing, but they said he finished his in 2017, so I think he got less than a year in prison. But he got a pretty short period of time for the amount of craziness that happened. Well, he should have gotten way more time than that. Uh, he yeah, he, he a defrauded year. a lot of people. So he didn't get off. She got a, a six-month sentence where she got four months, and he got a one-year sentence and five years of probation. So, like, he, they got off pretty easy considering the amount of people they impacted and the amount of money that was involved. But you see her, and... I feel compassion for her now because where's her life going to go at this point? She's never going to be able to get another dime from an investor, especially now that this this uh, Netflix documentary is out. Who's going to want to give this woman money? Nobody. And the thing is, you know, she, she can make a certain amount of money off her memoirs and she can make a certain amount of money from selling it to Netflix. And this is kind of like the whole Anna Sorokin, Anna Del Vey thing. Like she, I think she made about 300000 400000 something like that from selling her story to Netflix. It's got to be kind of a similar deal with this Sarma, right? She had to have sold it to them for a certain amount of money for them to create this show. But that, that kind of money only goes so far. And then what's she going to do for work after that? I mean, she is a, a trained chef, but she's got a criminal background now. And... Uh, yeah, Who's going to trust her? Well, I don't. she'll wind up flipping pancakes somewhere, you know, or I don't know. It, it, it's a tough situation. Can she turn and um, become the kind of person that God designed her to be? I think that she could, but she'll have to make different choices. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a part of her that still is hopeful that maybe 
she can get out of all this. I mean, I think she realizes and acknowledges that, that the amount of money that she owes in restitution and different investors that she still has to pay back, and she owes her back taxes and all kinds of other stuff. I think she realizes that is an astronomical amount of money for a normal person. But I think that, you know, when you have a situation like that, there's always a little bit of hope that you can somehow correct the course and, and get back on track. Well, I, I hope that she does. Uh, I think she got pulled off course by this swindler, and uh, he destroyed her life. I mean, she was going for it, and she was successful, and everything was going her way, and, you know, she was really doing well, and he completely <laughs> destroyed her life, but she let him. Yeah. The, the bottom line is she made the wrong choices. She trusted the wrong person. And, you know, it backfired and, de and it destroyed her world. And can she recover? I don't know. Honestly, it's, it's a big mountain to recover. Yeah. She pled guilty to stealing more than $2 million from investors and scheming to defraud. She filed for divorce from Strangis in 2018. And then this Netflix documentary came out in 2022. And it pretty much... It's an interesting show. Um, in my opinion, I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10 because there's a lot of extraneous stuff that they talk about. I mean, they really get into interviewing all the people that were involved in the case, all the employees that she had, all the main key employees at the restaurant. They talked to the investor, the big Jeffrey Chattero guy. They talked to a lot of different people in this documentary. So if you're interested in all the little details that are involved with it, it's a great watch. What I was kind of bothered by is it just made the story seem so unbelievable because you got one guy that I guess Anthony swindled, Anthony um, Anthony Strange just swindled out of like $50,000 by convincing him to give him that money to invest in some kind of a restaurant scheme where he was supposedly going to be in with Sarma in her business. And this is like this guy with a very, very thick European accent who fell into the scam too and ended up giving Anthony money as well. And here he is like as a major player in this restaurant scheme. He wasn't involved in any of the scams, but I think he believed the same sort of thing that Sarma did, that he was going to give this guy some money and get a big return. But when I watch it back now, it just makes it look so unbelievable. It just looks like a scam from a mile away. And maybe that's just me because I'm, you know, involved in this true crime and, and hear so many stories like this, but I just have a hard time believing that normal people in the normal world would believe any of this BS. Well, I agree. There has to be something <clears throat> broken inside of the woman. Um, but it wasn't just a woman. He scammed men. He scammed well, women. Well, you know, there's something inside of people that, that's got to be not quite right to buy into that. I can't believe that if you if you are operating in in discernment, you know, and you're you're you know really looking at things objectively, you're you're not going to fall for that. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. It's it's a, a sad story indeed. But unless you have anything else to add, we'll go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. I have nothing more to add. <laughs> well, thank you, Mom, for being on the show today and for participating in this lovely little episode about the bad vegan. If you want to check out our Instagram, we're at the BFD 
have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at the VFD Podcast at gmail.com. And please join us again next time when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>